When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time for another Pick and Rewind. We're coming to you from BellyUpSports.com, and you're listening to the best college football pick and pod in the land. He is Alan Denton. I'm Thomas Black. Alan, how are you doing tonight? Much better than Greg Sankey is right now with all his, with all his cancellations, man. <laughs> we were chatting about it a little bit before we came on here to the show, but it has been a whirlwind of a day for the SEC, definitely college football as a whole. It's been a wild last couple of weeks, and it, and it falls right in line with uh, the wild spread of COVID-19 that we've seen around the country in recent days. So it makes sense, uh, but there are a lot of college football programs dealing with COVID right now and uh, the ramifications of that with postponements, cancellations, late-breaking news, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really starting to become rampant, and I saw on Twitter today that Halloween is undefeated so far. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing is that we're seeing who all went out and partied on Halloween. That is exactly right. Alan, let's go ahead and jump into the rewind portion of our show. This is where we take a look back at our previous week in the Pick'em Contest and update you about where we sit. So with the week nine standings, we had a weekly winner, a friend of the show, Matt, come out with 85 of the 91 points available. He went 12 and one in his picks, Alan. He only missed the Michigan-Indiana game with Indiana coming up with the upset. A tremendous showing by Matt, and with it, he jumped up to 16th place in our overall standings. Yeah, I mean, kudos to Matt for being able to do that and, you know, only, like, getting the Notre Dame game right. Like, I mean, he had an incredible week. Absolutely, he did. We had two people go 12-1. and one. The other was Zane Chapelier from Belly Up Sports. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into the rest of the standings. Alan, another look at our leader. Not much has changed. Garrett is still in a tremendous place. He picked up 76 of the 91 available points. That was good for tie for seventh, a top 10 finish in the weekly standings. Uh, but overall, he is in the lead with 513 points. And get this, last week going into the weekend, he had a nine-point lead. Now it's up to 15 on our co-second place players, both Cameron and Zane Chapelier from Belly Up Sports. So a sizable gap, a nice cushion right now for Garrett. The dude has just been dominant all year long. It's really impressive. It sure is. Alan, let's take a quick look at where you and I stand. I didn't have a strong week, uh, but I came out okay. I tied for 21st. 
scoring 69 of the 91 points available. I only went eight and five in my picks. Because of it, I fell from third to fourth overall. And now, going into last week, I was down by 16 points. Now I'm back by 23. So I've got my work cut out for me a little bit. And Alan, uh, you're in a position where you finished up a little bit better than I did last week. A tie for 16th, scoring 71 points of the 91 available. You went 9-4 and four in your picks. And you're about in the same spot in the standings. You were 5th place by yourself. Now you're in a tie for 5th place. You were 21 points back. Now you're 26 points back. So you and I are in a similar boat. We're both in the top 5, but we've got a lot of work to do as we head into the uh, kind of the last 3rd of our season-long contest. Exactly. It's start. It's time to start making some picks that maybe you wouldn't otherwise make. Maybe it's time to start flipping some of those, maybe for the upset, to start going for it a little bit to make up some ground. And some information that is pertinent to everyone in the contest, for especially our top people contending for the grand prize, is that I found out from CBS Sports exactly when our season is wrapping up this year, our contest. It's going to wrap up on December 12th. So, At this point, we have nine weeks in the books with the contest. We've got five weeks to go. That's the final three weekends in November and the first two weekends of December. So there was a little bit of uncertainty with that, uh, but we are not going to be including the conference championship games in this regular season contest. My guess is that's because that's when bowl games start as well. And so because of COVID-19 and how everything got backed up, uh, I think our bowl game uh, competition may include those conference championship games, but I'll have to get some clarity from that as well from CBS Sports. But Alan, this really is kind of the stretch run that we're getting ready to head into. Yeah, it is. And so you've, you've got to start playing this differently now than you were the first part of the year. you got to start going for it if you want that top prize. It is going to be fascinating to see. Alan, I would love your perspective on this. I think that we're kind of heading into a position where, hey, we've seen some people make some big jumps in the standings. Uh, But like we talked about, Garrett has a 15-point lead right now in second place. We've seen some people pick up 10 to 15 points in a a single week, so that's not insurmountable. Uh, But my thinking is if if you want to have a chance at our grand prize, you're probably looking at a spot where I think to feel comfortable to make a push at the end, I think you're going to have to want to be within 10 or 15 points of the lead heading into those two weekends in December, you know, the last two weekends of the contest. Yeah, I agree that you got to be you really almost have to be right there at that 10 mark um, or less moving into the final two weeks unless you're willing to just, you know, have all like pick all kinds of crazy upsets and then get them all right. It is going to be fascinating to watch. Of course, Alan, the grand prize that everybody is chasing down in this contest is a $50 Visa gift card, a $100 gift card to championshipfootballs.com, and a free t-shirt from bellyupsports.com. So it's a cool prize pack. We've got a lot there, and uh, it's going to be some heated competition as we come down the stretch. Hey, as long as some people can figure out a way to edge out Garrett a couple of weeks throughout the rest of the year. Absolutely. Still plenty of time left. It's just time to, you got to start moving. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our picks from last week. Alan, we had a blowout early in the day with Iowa destroying Michigan State 49-7. to You were on the right side of this one with two points for Iowa. I was on the wrong side putting Michigan State at a one. What are your thoughts on this one? I, You know, they just looked like they wanted to be there, right? The previous week, they had almost beaten Northwestern but ended up losing that one at the end, and Northwestern kind of roared back. And, you know, and, and looking at it, Michigan State, what I thought they were going to be riding high coming off of 
Michigan, I didn't think they were nearly as good as they ended up showing in that game. And it's become very obvious Michigan wasn't even – is not even as good as we thought they were even against Michigan State. And, um, yeah, and, and so I, I thought this one had the recipe for a for a, a whooping. And uh, I, I had it too low, but still got it right. Well, Iowa, to your credit in thinking about them having the chance to possibly blow out Michigan State – was up 35 nothing at halftime. Just remarkable. Uh, just no questions about it whatsoever, and I don't have a lot to add to what you said, so let's go ahead and move on. You alluded to it. Michigan fell at Indiana 38-21. We were both on the wrong side of this. I had Michigan at a 7. You had Michigan at a 4. Alan, what's your takeaway from the Hoosiers knocking off the Wolverines? Penix is the real deal, right? Like, they Indiana looks looks legit i mean they they look like they can contend this year and in a way that they haven't been able to they're they're fully put together um man this looks like it could be a really rough year in ann arbor i don't know i mean like i mean what's harbaugh gonna do it's a great question. I, I don't know what he's going to do. The schedule's tough. They've been a mess. Uh, they had starting defensive end Aiden Hutchinson go down to an injury in this game. He's out for the season. There's a bunch of questions there. And and like you said, Michael Penix was tremendous. He threw for 342 yards and three touchdowns in this game. And Allen, I think you'll remember it. This is the Indiana team that I was hyping up going into the week one for the Big Ten, going into that matchup with Penn State. They haven't really shown it up until this point, but man, they exploded. They looked really good. And this is kind of the team I was expecting to see coming into the season. Yeah, and they were, you know, they got lucky in that first game. But in, in this game, there was there was no doubt who was the dominant team. I mean, they they won on every side of the ball. Um uh, and you know Joe Milton looked okay, but by the time in the second half, by the time they opened things up offensively, uh, it was too late, right? And, and so, um, just really, really tough. Don Brown was stubborn this week in playing man coverage, and I, you know they just kept rolling out those same two cornerbacks, and they just kept getting burnt. It, it was unbelievable. Alan, let's go ahead and keep on moving through the early slate. We had a surprise finish from Southern Cal coming away with a one-point win, 28-27 over Arizona State. They didn't deserve it whatsoever, uh, but they did get the win. You and I were both on the winning side of this, but we were fortunate in picking up our points. I had Southern Cal at an eight. You had Southern Cal at a five. Yeah, well, you're right. They most certainly should not have won this game. And, you know, that was something last week I said. You know, I didn't know that necessarily that Arizona State was going to win. They should have won that game, if not for, you know, fourth and 13 touchdown and a fourth and nine touchdown. <laughs> um, Two ridiculous and getting the onside kick and that kind of stuff. I mean, they were really, really lucky. So, I mean, you're counting your lucky stars. But, um, you know, I think Herm Edwards has a pretty good team. I think USC has a lot of talent, but I also don't know how well coached they are. Um, it, it looks like they're not going to be a contender for the playoff or anything like that. 
Alan, you mentioned it, the luck they had. Not only was it fourth and 13, not only was it fourth and nine, not only was it the onside kick, but go back to that fourth and 13 touchdown, which cut the score to one game with a couple minutes to go. But that's Keaton Slovis throwing the ball just kind of up for grabs into the end zone. He's throwing it to Amon Ross St. Brown. He just kind of tips the ball, and it falls right into the hands of Brew McCoy. So a lot of luck on that play, not only being fourth and 13, but getting the tip as well. Yeah, that that play was absolutely nuts. I mean, three guys collided, and it just falls into Brew McCoy's hands. And it, it was unbelievable. And I I thought it was kind of hilarious that they were playing that game at like 9 a.m. What a time to be alive. We've seen the Pac-12 after dark. Now we've got the Pac-12 at breakfast. And uh, we'll see that <laughs> going all season long. Of course, that's a, on the West Coast. We're here on the East Coast. It k- kicks off at noon for us. But uh, it is fascinating to, to wonder what these teams will react like when they're kicking off at 9 a.m. local time. Alan, let's go, oh. ahead, <laughs> let's go ahead and jump over to our last game in the early slot. West Virginia at Texas. The Longhorns coming away with a 17-13 win. What's your takeaway? West Virginia's defense is legit. And this game was a lot closer than I anticipated it being. Um, Texas still felt kind of in control, except, I mean, they had to stop them on fourth down twice down near the end zone. And, um, you know, they just didn't look as prepared as and motivated as I, as I thought they would. Um, Texas's receivers struggled and they had multiple very big drops. And, um, yeah, West Virginia just didn't have quite enough firepower to be able to pull it off, but I thought they showed pretty well. Dude, I'm with you. This is a West Virginia team that I've kind of been high on this season. I think statistically they've proven themselves a whole lot better than uh, their kind of resume does if you're just looking at simply opponents and outcomes in games. Uh, I think they've performed pretty well this year. Uh, I was one of only two people in the whole group that went with West Virginia in this game. I had them at a five, and I'm completely comfortable having them there, even though I was on the wrong side of this one. Because like you said, it was a couple late fourth down stops that Texas had down in their own end. Uh, that West Virginia easily could have had their go go their way and then could have come out on top. And think about this, Alan, if this one flips, everybody in front of me in the standings had Texas at a six. I had West Virginia at a five. So if West Virginia just scores a touchdown instead of a field goal or scores on that last possession a touchdown, then I could have had an 11-point swing with the leaders and I would have been sitting in second place all by myself, only 12 points behind Garrett at this point. Oh, yeah, it would have been huge. And it's crazy how games like that, there's going to be a few more of those kinds of games throughout this that you can pick up those kinds of swings. And, um, yeah, that, that Texas was quite lucky. I don't know what the heck Tom Herman's doing down there. <laughs> like, honestly, they've got a senior quarterback. Um, Joseph Asai is, is really good on the defensive side. And I, they just, I mean, they're just not impressive. Yeah, I think simply put, that is pretty accurate. And to me, man, I don't know if Tom Herman's going to be around after this year. Uh, I still think Texas probably has a loss in them somewhere. I know they squeaked by in this one. That's great. Uh, But they probably, in my book, have another loss somewhere. I don't know. I have their schedule in front of me. Uh, But I I think that uh, they've shown enough weak spots on the field that I'm not confident in them uh, winning every single matchup in the Big 12 that, you know, kind of up for grabs. And there's a bunch of those in the Big 12. Yeah, they should have lost the past two weeks, right? (laughs) Like, if not for five turnovers from Oklahoma State two weeks ago, 
and then you know two fourth down uh, kind of lucky stops there at the end. I mean, they are golly, they are so close to having lost both of these past two weeks. It is true. Alan, let's go ahead and jump into the mid-afternoon. We had Cincinnati beating Houston 38-10, to just dominant fashion from the Bearcats. You and I both had them very high on our boards. You had the Bearcats at a 12. I had Cincinnati at an 11. So it came out good on both our ends. Any thoughts on, from this matchup? Since he's the real deal, right? Like it makes sense that they're number six. I mean, they, they just put it on Houston in a way that – um, they, you know, we had this conversation in the preseason, whether an AAC team could sneak in there and I kind of scoffed at it and I still don't think it's going to happen, Yeah, but they've done everything that you said that they would need to do, right? They're dominating teams. They play really good defense. Um, you know, that they're doing what they need to do to put themselves in the conversation. Yeah, they are in the conversation. They just need some fluky things to happen ahead of them. I, I'm with you. I don't think there's going to be enough to happen uh, for them to be able to get that shot, but they're they're looking like they're going to be a New Year's Six team, and uh, they certainly deserve it at this point. Alan, get this. Their last three games at SMU, Memphis, and now Houston, they've outscored those opponents, and not none of them bad, 129-33. to Wow. That's that's staggering <laughs> and impressive. Alan, let's go ahead and keep on moving through it. Oklahoma State survived a scare at Kansas State, twenty to eighteen. They were down twelve nothing at halftime. I got twelve points for this one. You were on it. You slid Oklahoma State way down your board. You had them at a six. What was your thoughts about the Cowboys heading into this matchup? Well, honestly, I'm I'm just not sold on Spencer Sanders uh, and on the road. And especially versus a, an opportunistic defense that can get after the quarterback. Uh, um, you know, Kansas State has that Hubert guy, but you know, as a defensive end, that guy mm-hmm. is a monster. I mean, he comes around the edge and I mean, he affects the quarterback a whole lot more than he even sacks them, which is a lot. And, and so I, I, I thought it was like, man, they, they could, in theory, make enough plays at home. To, to make this one really, really fascinating. And honestly, they they really should have um, pulled that one out. But kudos to Oklahoma State and Gundy for, for getting that done because that, that was a huge win for them and for the Big 12. Absolutely. Some other notes to take note of for our listeners is that Tylen Wallace, the star wide receiver, was out in this game. Chuba Hubbard, the star running back for Oklahoma State, was banged up. So he didn't perform as well or as much as they probably would have liked. So they were a little limited offensively. Uh, but still a very, very close game. Allen, also in the middle afternoon slot, we had Florida dominating Georgia, 44-28. to You had Georgia at a 7. I had Florida at a 4. I went with the upset. I got it. What are your thoughts on this one? I did not see this coming. I mean, wow. That was, Kyle Trask was dropping some absolute dimes, man. He, goodness gracious. And then, I mean, at this point, Kirby Smart, he he's struggling, and and Stetson Bennett just can. They're asking him to do things that he cannot do, right? Like he, they're asking him to throw the ball deep, and he's not a good deep ball thrower, and that's why his percentages were terrible. Um, even when he came back after after the shoulder, I mean, he he was throwing the ball fine. He just couldn't complete the balls that they were asking him to throw. And then they bring in Dewan Mathis, and I mean he's not any good. So either 
JG Daniels' knee is bad or he's been awful in practice. I mean, their quarterback situation is a huge, huge development. Um, and Florida looks like they're right in that for, um, you know, not just SEC title contention, but I mean, they, they are right in the college football playoff conversation now. They absolutely are. Alan, this one was wild to me. It's just, I, I was with you. I remember you saying, Hey, I just think that Florida is not going to be enough to match up with Georgia. I was up with, on you with that same sentiment all the way until the previous week. And it's when Georgia played Kentucky won that game 14 to three. They kind of won it how I thought they would, but I thought the score might be something more like 24 to three. And then we look back to that Florida matchup with Missouri where I said, Hey, watch out. Florida has been dealing with a whole lot of COVID. And then I thought, Hey, maybe Missouri has a chance to win this game. We found out Florida had defensive players everywhere off the field. And then they still dominated the Tigers. And then on top of that, we found out about all the injury stuff with the Georgia Bulldogs on the defensive side of the ball, starting defensive tackle, starting safety, uh, rotational defensive linemen, those guys leaving the game and not being available for the Florida matchup. I just thought, man, I think this Florida offense is really, really good. I'm starting to trust it more. And that's what made me go with uh, the Gators in this one. But Alan, I want you to hear these stats. Georgia started off this game up 14-0. They were leading in yardage at that point, 136-3. From that point on, Florida outgained the Bulldogs uh, 568-141, to outscoring Georgia 44-14. to That is unreal. They were absolutely when it when it got up fourteen nothing. I was I was kind of gloating a little bit, like, oh yeah, I've got <laughs> I've got these points in the bag. And then Trask, I mean, he just picked that defense apart. And you know, it's a defense that was missing a you know missing some guys. They were missing missing Richard LeCount. They are missing Jordan Davis. But yeah. I mean, listen, I don't think either one of those would have mattered. I mean, Kyle Trask just kept putting. Um, the ball on the money and deep pass. And they could, how in the name of God can defensive coordinator like Kirby smart and uh, defensive mind, like Kirby smart, not handle the wheel route. Oh goodness. Like what's the freaking deal? Oh man. You you (laughs) thought Kyle Pitts was going to be a problem coming into this game. He was, and then he was knocked out of the game with a concussion, but the wheel routes out of the backfield, Malik Davis had five receptions for 100 yards Damian Pierce had two receptions for 41 yards. It was all game long. Yeah. I mean, they just kept going right back to it. And it was like Georgia never answered that. And that that kind of stuff is mind-boggling to me. Because, you know, if we're seeing that, like, how, like, why are they not adjusting to it, right? Like, I mean, you and I know a, a lot about football. But, I mean, for God's sakes, we're not a coach. And we're, not <laughs> right. two, we're not paid $2 million. <laughs> however much that to know about that and I mean just just kept picking at him it was and they kept putting like N'Kobe Dean and um and and, you know some of those other middle linebackers on on try to get out on those running backs from the middle of the field they can't do it yeah it doesn't matter how fast you are you cannot cover even if you had Ronquan Smith in there back from the NFL he's not going to be able to cover that yeah Beautiful job by Dan Mullen. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think it really, truly is a credit to Dan Mullen. I know a ton of people sing his praises all the time, uh, but my goodness, with all the talent that Georgia has defensively and how they just carved them up all game long outside of that first drive, 
It was completely impressive. And hey, I've, I've just looked at this Florida offense and I thought, man, they were good last year. I think they've taken it to a whole nother level this year. And that was part of also what put me on the side of the Gators in this matchup. Exactly. They they really have. And that this game especially proved it. Alan, let's go ahead and jump into the late slot. We've still got a number of games to go through, but we can slide quickly through some of these. Texas A&M blew out South Carolina 48-3, to and Colorado beat UCLA in a shootout 48-42. Any thoughts on those? Uh, Texas A&M is dominant. I mean, they really feel like they're getting going now. But Kellen Mond's playing efficiently. I think they've scored more than 40 in the past maybe three weeks or something like that. They've been really impressive. And um, Chip Kelly sucks in his second go around in, the, <laughs> in college football man that ucla one hurt me i was with ucla i had them at a three you had colorado at a five uh i'm sorry at a three the thing that hurt me in this one was ucla set up colorado with early short fields to build a lead uh colorado was plus four in turnovers and ucla went over two on fourth down i think if you kind of flip a couple of those back you don't have to get all of them i think ucla probably wins this game and probably wins it uh by 10 or 14 points oh yeah and and if if this game's played in pasadena i'm picking ucla right uh that's one of those things that you got a young quarterback um not a ton of experience those kinds of things tend to happen on the road and even even though they scored 42 points, so that's that's just one of those things that that can happen with with uh, with some of these fast paced teams with young quarterbacks. And some of the early points that we also saw in another matchup, Iowa State squeaked by against Baylor. They had to come roaring back. They won 38-31. But man, they set up the Bears early in this game with an early lead, some short fields, kind of similar to the UCLA Colorado game. Alan, what are your thoughts on the Cyclones coming away with a seven-point win and one that was way too close for, for comfort? Oh, they just weren't prepared. It didn't look like they had really they were into it. They thought it seemed like they were going to go out there and whip them. Uh, Purdy turns the ball over a couple of times, and you know Baylor's feeling great about themselves. Here's the deal. Just Charlie Brewer's not good enough. Their offense isn't good enough. And Iowa State was able to claw back in it because they are pretty explosive. And um, especially against equal athletic competition when they're not playing up against some of the like an Oklahoma State type defense. Yeah. And that's when that the little bit lower athleticism hurts them. But they're they're good. Um, And it just didn't look like they were prepared that night. They are a solid team. You and I both had them at a 13. It was uncomfortable, but it came out in our favor. But look at this. Iowa State trailed by 14 points three different times in this game. Down 14-0, down 21-7, and down 24-10. Yet they continuously came back, ending up winning that game by seven. Yeah, they roared back in the second half, right? That was was when they they buckled down because I think it was 24-10 at halftime. And so then they outscored them, you know, 28 to seven after, after the half. Definitely. Alan, a tough one we've got to look at on your side, your volunteers coming up short at Arkansas, 24, 13. What are your thoughts, my friend? They freaking suck. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's, they look lifeless. They look joyless. They don't look like they, they care all that much. There's just weird stuff's kind of going on right now. And, you know, they're not pushing the ball down the field. They're playing a, a awfully boring style. I mean, I love, I love Tennessee football, but I mean, this is just miserable to watch 
just miserable. You had Tennessee at a one in this game. I had Arkansas at a two. I wasn't ultra confident in it, but kind of what you said, Tennessee's hit a slump. I, I saw how they'd play in re, played in recent weeks, and I just thought, man, it's been ugly. Arkansas is kind of the opposite of what you said. They've been playing enthusiastic, excited to be on the field. You know, they're only winning half their games, but from a team that had lost a bunch of SEC games in a row, uh, they're having the time of their lives right now. And ultimately, I think the big kicker for me was I trust Felipe Franks a whole lot more than I trust Jared Garantino. Yeah, and Jared went skydive and, you know, up over some defensive linemen and gets his head banged up. And then they bring in Maurer and he looks clueless, literally clueless about what was going on. And then they bring in Harrison Bailey and run it six straight times with like four minutes left to go down 11. Pruitt inexplicably doesn't kick the field goal and and makes his first pass at fourth and four as a true freshman. Just just bad situational football. They look unprepared. Um, You know, they were up 13 to nothing at the half. They were running the ball well, but then they came out flat with the same, doing the same stuff and didn't adjust. Um, You know, it's just, it's just, it's bad right now. And, you know, the reason I picked Tennessee is the first two years, Tennessee has been really, really sharp off of bye weeks. Mm -hmm. That's Pruitt has been really good after a bye week. Two years ago, they beat Auburn after a bye week. Last year, they came uh, off of, they they ended up, uh, I think, uh, coming off and playing pretty sharp against Georgia, um, even though that game ended up getting out of hand, like, at the very end. Yeah. Um, so, I and they did come out sharp, but they did not translate that into the second half. Absolutely. Alan, let's go ahead and keep on moving through the night slate. We had Oregon beating Stanford 35-14. Uh, this one, you know, they were in control of the whole way, but I think the game was a good bit closer than the score indicated. What are your thoughts? You came away with 10 points picking Oregon. I had nine. Yeah, that had more to do with my lack of confidence in Stanford than, than my belief in Oregon. I mean, I, I think Oregon has a lot of talent, but they've got to figure out exactly what who they're going to be this year offensively without Justin Herbert, right? Yeah. They have a replacement quarterback named Tyler Shuck. If you're out there and you haven't seen his name, it does not look like Shuck, but I've heard it pronounced by a bunch of different people who call games and and have seen him in recruiting territory and kind of things like that. So Tyler Shuck is the quarterback from Oregon. Uh, In this one, Oregon put up 496 yards. I was a little bit doubting what their offense would do, but they looked pretty good. But I'm with you, some doubts about Stanford. The question is, though, Oregon's supposed to have one of the best defenses in the country. They gave up 413 yards. And like I said, they won by 21, but Stanford also missed four field goals in this game, went 0 for 4, so they easily could have had a lot more points on the board. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this could have been a much, much closer game. And their and Stanford's starting quarterback did play. Yes. Right? Like so that which is a which is kind of a big deal. Um, I mean, David Shaw has a really good reputation, but it seems like Stanford's on the the downhill slide at this point. It seems like they've peaked and are after the McCaffrey era are starting to and Bryce Love era are starting to come back to uh, you know back to normal a little bit. Yeah, like you said, with their starting quarterback Davis Mills was out in this game, and we'll have some more information on that for you in our next episode, the Pick 'em Pod, as we get some information on some of these games. Alan, the final one we have to talk about: the thriller of the entire day, Clemson falling on the road at Notre Dame, forty-seven to forty in double overtime. Oh my gosh, what a game! Right, and then you end the night with a super spreader event. 
and uh, <laughs> with them storming the field, Ian Book played incredibly well. But in my opinion, that the story of the game is, um, and and the reason I don't, I don't know that, that Clemson's going to be able to do, you know, much about it again this year is their their defense got exposed. Yeah. Um, in a really big way, and a pretty, I think, a good and sufficient Notre Dame offense. But I, I mean, they're not that good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. Right? I'm with you. I have some questions about the Clemson defense. Now they were hampered a little bit in this game. I told you to watch out for it on last week's episode. Tyler Davis, the defensive tackle, did not play in this game. Uh, they lost multiple guys in the middle of this game to injury. Brian Bercy, the, the true freshman, was one of those guys who went down. Uh, they had some other guys who were out as well, James Skalski and some of the other linebackers. So I, I think they're going to get a little bit more healthy, but I, I'm with you. Even with returning starters, I don't think it's like a drastic, drastic improvement uh, for this defense. I think they are limited athletically at the linebacker position. Uh, I think defensive line, I think they've got some really big star talent kind of on that first starting lineup, maybe like five or six deep. Uh, but I just don't think it's the ultra talented depth that they've had in recent years. So I have some questions about that. Brent Venables is the best defensive coordinator in the country. So maybe he can get some th- things figured out, but I think they have some limitations on the defensive side as well. Agreed. Yeah. And I, that's going to be a, a big deal as we move down the stretch, because this isn't going to be the only good offense that they face. In fact, pretty much everybody that they're going to play in like potentially in the playoff or as they play Notre Dame again in the ACC championship game, they're they're going to have to play better defense. Yeah, and hey, I was already thinking about it even before this matchup, but I think this matchup kind of solidifies it. I was looking at those question marks defensively for Clemson, and I think I've almost kind of re-ranked. We've been talking about you know maybe three elite teams in the country with Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. Now, I think there's a couple different tiers. I think you've got like uh, your Alabama and Ohio State kind of in the elite tier, and then there's a second gap where I think it might be Clemson, Notre Dame. I'm not saying those two are anywhere near different from each other. I think Clemson easily could have won this game, uh, but I think they're kind of second tier and maybe Florida as well, and then it might be a big pack after that with everybody else. Yeah, I I can agree with that. You know, it very much does seem to kind of, be breaking into tears as we as we kind of go along um with i think at this point alabama being the the clear cut favorite i agree alan as we jump out of this episode we have to remind people that you can always jump in to our blackmail session that's a voicemail set up so you can get your voice heard here on the pick'em rewind it's just as easy as calling 706-406- 3566. We'd love to hear from you. And coming up next, we have a pick and pod with value picks. We've got 13 games on the board because of cancellations and postponements. That's 91 more points available this week. And in addition to that, we're going to have a special offer coming to you from Statement Games. I had an interview earlier this week from Mark Salino, the founder of Statement Games, and we'll have information on that as we work our way through the episode. Of course, if you want to find us on social media, you can find Alan at AD on the blackout. You can find me at TB on the blackout. That's on Twitter. You can find the show at the blackout pod. That's on Facebook and on Twitter. And of course, other things you can do to support the show are to rate and review. Alan, anything else you need to cover? No, man, I'm good. All right, we're off to a pick'em pod. Alan, thank you, sir, for your time. Thank you, bro.
Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.